welcome all of you to Woven Covenant Church. Um, ironically, it's not just Valentine's Day. It's the first Sunday of Lent, which is a season of waiting and patience. Um, I'm looking out at all of our young people here. Um, so maybe the waiting and the patience is part of the Valentine's project for you. Um, but sometimes you have the bitter together with the sweet. Seems like today is one of those days, Valentine's Day as well as the start of Lent. Uh, we've been in a practical prayer series, a series called Practical Prayer, learning about um, how to pray, where to pray, when to pray, what words to use, not just wanting to build up the intensity, um, that too, but also to provide the depth and the language to prayer. And so... Um, we started off with the Lord's Prayer weeks back. Uh, the Lord's Prayer, uh, Jesus taught his disciples, and even today, 2,000 years later, we're still asking him, Lord, teach me how to pray. The Lord's Prayer, and thereafter we learned a prayer of examine or examination, such that at the end of every day or the start of every day, we're learning to examine ourselves. And I think this is a very fruitful practice. It's benef I've benefited tremendously from it. We've also learned meditative prayers, prayers that we can pray throughout the day, um, really short one-liners. Sometimes something that I've said or read will stick in my mind, um, and I'll, I'll find myself saying, into your hands I commit my spirit, for you have redeemed me, O Lord, O God of truth. Words like that. Um, and then the last two weeks, we talked about prayers of surrender and repentance. And I think those two go hand in hand, surrender and repentance, um, I think uh, a very similar theme, very important theme as well, the foundation of revival, which really church planting, I believe, is about revival. The foundation of revival is surrender and repentance. Today, being Valentine's Day, I wanted to teach a prayer for our spouses, for our significant others, um, and to learn how to pray for our spouse. Yes, you have to pray for your spouse. You have to pray for your significant other. Um, in case you didn't get the memo, it is a good thing. It's important to invest intentionally in that relationship. Um, I will say at this point, for those who are not married, um, I don't want you to check out and say, this does not apply to me. Um, and I ask for your patience and your forgiveness, but I still think today's talk will help you on two levels. I think it will still help on two levels. The first level and I'm going to use my words very carefully here and listen carefully to how I word this. If indeed you are called to marry, and I believe God calls us to marriage, if indeed you are called to marry, then my words will come handy one day. Um, and you can just, you can, you can still apply, consider this early premarital counseling. Um, but on the other hand, if you are called to remain single, um, this message is still applicable, I think, to all relationships. So again, I choose my words carefully there. We are called either to marry or we're called to remain single. Um, I, don't, I don't think there's, um, there's a gray area between. Um, God calls us. God calls us to one or the other. And so on that note, Hear the words of this prayer, and if you are not married, I think you can still apply these words to a significant relationship in your life, and they're still applicable. If we can pull that prayer for my spouse up on the screen, and um, how about we say this um, together? 
a prayer for my spouse all together now. God, please show me how to keep my spouse's happiness utmost in my mind today as I try by your grace to make this relationship right. Please protect my spouse from all of my wrongs. Help me to seek to console than to be consoled, to comfort than to be comforted, to understand than to be understood, and to love than to be loved. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born again to eternal life. Amen. Try praying that for 30 days and see what it does for you. Um, I, I want to try to lead with a lot of anecdotes today and share my own story. I pray for my wife, um, not perfectly all the time. Um, sometimes when I'm doing my evening prayers, you know, in the spirit of making sure that my family are first on my agenda, I'll pray for them as first and foremost. Um, sometimes I'll be lying in bed and for those of you who've been married long enough, you, you kind of know how it's like, you know, no kiss anymore. You just kind of turn your back and you go to sleep. And um, what I'll do is I'll just actually place my hands on my wife's back, you know, underneath her shirt. And I'll just rub it. And, and she probably thinks I want something else, but there's, there's my, my intentions are completely pure. I just want to pray. And, and I'll, I'll just pray for my wife. And it's a very special um, intim- intimate thing, and then I turn around and go to sleep, and she's left wondering, what's going on? Um, but that's how I do it. Um, find a way for yourself to pray for your wife or your husband or your significant other or any relationship in your life. Again, I think these words are applicable. And I'm going to talk along three headings this Sunday morning. The first is the purpose of marriage. The second is the call of marriage, and third is the cost of marriage. So we're talking about the purpose, the call, and the cost of marriage. And I will just kind of add this. um, This is a teaser, so to speak, of the premarital class that that will be starting pretty soon. In fact, a lot of the people that are going to be taking this class are not here, (laughs) which is funny. Um, But I think they'll hear it on the podcast, but this is a taste of the premarital class that we're going to be probably doing sometime, I think, this summer. Um, But we've got a couple of people interested, and this is a taste of of some of this stuff. The first heading is the purpose of marriage, the purpose. What is the purpose? Why marry? Why, why, Why do we marry? When you ask my wife and I, you know, why did you guys marry? It was her idea. It was his idea. It was our idea. Well, let's talk about why marriage and the purpose of marriage by looking at Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 27 to 31. Genesis 1, verse 27. Let's read that together. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There's almost a lyricism about those words, and I would say that it's intentional. Um, I want to hone in on that phrase, the image of God. Twice it's mentioned, God created us in His image. In the image of God, God has created us. This idea of being created in the image of God, somebody asked me in our adult Bible study class afterwards, what does it mean to be an image bearer? 
And what that literally means, it comes from this verse, is the idea that when God created us, we bear, or we wear, so to speak, we wear God's image. If there is anyone among you who who feels illegitimate or unaccepted or less than, there are no illegitimate children born in this world because every single human being wears the visage or the image of God. Christianity gets a bad rap in a lot of different circles. People don't like Christianity, but there's one thing you cannot knock, and it's the historical fact that Christianity and this theology has been the foundation for a lot of social reform movements. Whether it was abolition, whether it was anti-abortion, whether it was uh, saving people, whether it was adoption, um, um, orphanages, um, taking care of people that were destitute, taking care of rejects, outcasts, all of that comes from this essential first theology that we're created and we wear the image of God. When you realize that there are no illegitimate children, none of you are less than. In fact, when you realize you wear God's image, um, it's, it's transformative not only of your own self-esteem, but it's transformative of how we view people, how we view people. And it's not just men, it's women as well. The author takes care to say both man and woman, both man and woman he created in the image of God. To understand what it means to recognize God's image in another human being, I'm going to borrow the words of uh, Pope John Paul II. I don't quote Catholic theologians often, but he is saying something here that is so powerful and so profound. Hear these words. The problem, now he's talking about, the, he's talking about, the, where, about people wearing the image of God. He's talking about recognizing the humanity in people. He says, the problem with pornography, actually, and that's what he says, the problem with pornography is not that we're seeing too much, but that we're seeing actually too little. The problem with pornography, as one, one, one case study, is not that we're seeing too much, but that we're seeing too little. To recognize God's image in another human being, it takes work. It takes paying attention. It takes listening. It takes attentiveness. But to just see body parts, to just see what's on the glossy page or on the screen, in many ways, doesn't show us enough of the human being. And as a result, objectification ruins um, not only that that person as an image bearer, it ruins us. To recognize that we are image bearers, but that the people around us are image bearers as well, this is a foundational theology, I think, um, even for marriage. Recognize and look in the other person the image of God. There are times where we just want to tune the other person out, but it takes time, it takes attentiveness, it takes thoughtfulness to recognize the image of God in your significant other. After that, in verse 28, God blesses them, both male and female, and says, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over fish, birds, sky, over every living thing. I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth. Every tree which has fruit yielding seed is food for you. And every beast of the earth, every bird of the sky, everything that moves has life. I have given every green plant for food 
and it was so. In other words, there's a sense where God's purpose in creating Adam and Eve was to be caretakers, or to be stewards, or to be responsible. This is the word I want to hone in on. When I first married my wife um, 13, 14 years ago, and we started dating uh, about 15 years ago, uh, I was in my early 20s, and in my mind, I was ready. Looking back, I, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I wish somebody had sat me down. One of the things that I didn't get was premarital counseling. Both of us, we didn't get premarital counseling. And I think that was a big mistake. It was kind of circumstantial. We, we, were, we were very mobile. I was from New York. She was from Virginia. We were living in Seattle. So we didn't have the roots to have that. Um, I wish somebody sat me down and said, Wayne, you'd like to get married? Here's a gerbil. Let's see if you can take care of this gerbil for six months without it dying and the cage smelling. And if you can do that, we'll graduate to a rabbit. And if you do good with a rabbit, then I'll give you a kitten. And let's see how you do. Because knowing myself at that age, I was not in the place where I was able to take care of another human being, let alone myself. This notion that God created people to steward and to be responsible for all of creation is the underlying purpose for marriage. Not only does he say, take care of all of these animals and these plants and the birds and the fish, but take care of each other. Take care of each other. That this beautiful thing called marriage, holy union, is about that one thing, responsibility. And then the next thing you know, you have these little responsibilities that sprout up. And then you can't watch TV anymore and play video games at night, and you can't, you can't do fun individual things that I like to do. But actually, I think that's the process of growing up. Responsibility is the process of growing up. So what are the purposes? What are God's purposes for marriage? I would sum it up in that one word, responsibility. Responsibility. The view, I'm going to quote Gary and Betsy uh, Ricucci. I think that's how you say it in a book that book called Love That Lasts, they say, all these views, marriage is about me, marriage is about her, marriage is about being together, marriage is about having fun, all of these views have the same fatal limitation, fatal. These views are centered in man rather than on God. A truly Christian marriage starts with the reality that the institution of marriage doesn't belong to us. The purposes of marriage belong to God. He designed it, and His purposes for it are paramount. So again, the purposes of marriage is about that singular word responsibility. And if we are loving and caring for another person, I can tell you that I've been married almost 14 years. And um, if, I'm, if I'm honest, I still feel very irresponsible. I still feel very selfish, let alone taking care of another human being and putting her needs first. That's why this prayer is such a powerful prayer. Show me how to keep my spouse's happiness utmost first before my own. You know how we live? I, well, I'll speak for myself. I live like I have a hole in my heart. And I walk around trying to fill that hole with activities or things that will entertain or that will feed, that will take care. And in my relationships, I want that hole to be filled. Affirm me. Love me. Comfort me. What are the love languages, right? Give a gift to me. Um, 
I need words of affirmation. I need this. But I'm finding that that hole does not get filled by, by demanding or taking. But actually, my hole in my heart gets filled the more I try to sit down and, and, and actually pay attention to my wife. The more I fill the hole in her heart, the more my own hole gets filled. The purposes of marriage, responsibility, and caring for another, perp- another person. We move on to the second heading, the call of marriage. What is the call of marriage? How do I know that I'm called to marry? Pastor Wayne, if you're saying that on the one hand there's, we're called to marry, or on the other hand we're called to singleness, how do I know if I'm called to singleness or called to marriage? Reflect on this verse, Genesis chapter 2, verses 18, where it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. It is not good for the man to be alone. Now, you're thinking in your mind, oh, well, I'm not married. Does that mean it's bad or I'm doing something wrong that I'm not married? Let me clarify this. It is not good for the man to be alone. And I think what we're talking about here principally is isolation. The thing that is not good And you see throughout all of creation, the first two chapters of Genesis, it was good, it was good, it was was good, it was good, it was good. And then he created woman and he said, whoa, man. But then all of a sudden he says it was not good. And he says it was not good when he realizes Adam was alone. Isolation is what is not good. For those of you that are not married, I want you to understand that if you are called to singleness, um, This doesn't necessarily mean that it's not good for you to be alone and that you're supposed to be married, but what it does say and what it does affirm is that community is what you need and that isolation, even if you're single, is not healthy. Isolation is not healthy. Look at even God himself. When we look at God, the highest, the highest existence of being, the Holy Trinity, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, even God doesn't live alone by himself, say, I'm an individual, I'm independent, I'm by myself. God himself is a community. And so how much more do we, do we need to live together in community? So it's not good to be alone. And then he says, I will make a helper suitable for him. I will make a helper suitable for him. God says, I'm going to create a counterpart to man called woman, and this helper will be suitable for Adam. This is the first marriage in the Bible. It's like the first marriage, and what you see is the first time a man relates to a woman. I wonder what it must have been like. I mean, were they like children where Adam just kind of sat there like this and just like, you know, just kind of looked at her and regarded her, and what did she do? Did she look at him and say, well, are you going to say something? So what was it like? It's, it's almost like a U2 song, the mysterious ways between a man and a woman. And all of a sudden, the two um, are relating. The question is, what preposition is even used there? God created a helper for or suitable to Adam. How, does the, how, do, how do you even describe the relationship between the first man and the first woman? Like I said, it's like a U2 song. It's mysterious. 
Does he say God created Eve under Adam, as some would like to believe, or he created Eve for Adam, or he created Eve to Adam, or he created Eve with Adam, or did he create Eve above Adam? The preposition that's used there is really interesting, and this is fun, and I think that there's a message in this. Jewish, um, I, I should say, Jewish people have unpacked this preposition between Adam and Eve in a way that I think not many Protestants or Christians, for that matter, have heard. But the phrase there in the Hebrew that talks about how Adam and Eve were to relate, the preposition there, um, it can be translated. And actually, I think in your, some of your Bibles, you'll see a footnote. Does anybody have a footnote? In some of your Bibles, it'll say literally, I'm not sure what it'll say. I think literally corresponding to him or something of that sense. But the point is that Hebrew word speaks about God creating somebody that would be counterpart, that would be opposite to, that would be against. So picture if you would, if you stood in front of a mirror and you put your hand on the mirror and then all of a sudden an image appeared and the image looked like you except it was the opposite gender. And you're like, wow, that's cool. You look like me, except you're a chick or, you know, vice versa. And then all of a sudden, you move this way and you realize the image is moving this way too. And then you move this way and you're like, excuse me, but the image is moving this way. And you try to move forward, but this image constantly is getting in your face. I think that's the sense of the preposition that's captured here. God creates woman to get in the face of Adam. God creates woman counterpart corresponding to, and maybe you can even use that word against, to get in his face. I think this notion that we are perfect individuals, that we are masters of our own fate and destiny, um, I, I just think it's, it's, it's wrong. One of the worst songs in the world, I think, is I Did It My Way. Frank Sinatra was wrong. It's a beautiful song, but it's so wrong. God creates Eve to show Adam that, no, you cannot do it your own way. He creates Eve to show Adam that you're, you, you, you need to listen to somebody else. And this doesn't apply just to men. This applies to women. This applies to all people. You know what the call of marriage is, if I might summarize? The call of marriage is no longer to be isolated and alone. The call of marriage is to have another be human being in your life who will challenge you, who will stand in front of you, in your view is one of the prepositions that we could put there, in your view, somebody that will show you another way, the question is how open are you to it? Even recently, my wife sat me down and um, she, she said, I have to tell you something and you need to know this. You need to know this, you need to know it about yourself. In the past, I've been very, very defensive and I would, I, would, I would say, well, you're like this. <laughs> or what? And then I would say, why? You know, why do we have to talk about this? And, and I would kind of sidestep it, and then it would really become an argument. And I don't know how many of you can relate to that, but I just kind of lead with my weakness, right? But I read something about a man who every night would just sit down and listen to whatever the other person had to, listen to his wife, and vice versa. And they would have this kind of, this, this boundary, no crosstalk allowed during that time. And then they would affirm each other. Thank goodness I read that just before my wife came to me because 
she began to tell me some things that made me really uncomfortable, but I knew to be true. And I could tell that, you know, like, like you know, the, the, the hairs on her back were rising and the hairs on my back were rising, but I knew that I just have to listen. And I didn't get defensive. I didn't shoot back. And as I sat and listened, and I listened to a, and a very uncomfortable truth that she was telling me about myself, um, I realized that after about 20 minutes, she felt heard, and I understood. And we typically would argue at about 14 minutes and 30 seconds or something like that, but we got past that point and got to the point where I was listening. And as a result, um, I'm the better for it. I'm, I'm not just trying to, you know, I'm not just trying to preach it and just trying to convince you, but I, I really am the better for it. I think the point of marriage the call of marriage is to be challenged. It's for the individual in isolation to realize, I don't see everything correctly. I have tremendous blind spots. There's so much in the world that I don't know. I think I know, but I need another human being to tell me. And your openness, if I can just speak for a second here to men, um, because I am of the male gender, but men, our openness to our spouses, to our wives, to our helpmate, to our opposer, to our challenger, sometimes it feels more like those, right? But our openness to that, it will determine our success. It will determine our success. Your openness to the person that God has created against you, your openness to that will determine your, your success. And in times when there's marital counseling, and I've done a little bit of that, and where there's a couple in front of me, and the problem comes up, and, and it's almost like, see, can you, can, you just, can you just tell her that what she's doing is wrong? Actually, that's not what I'm here for. I'm not here to take sides and to say that this is wrong or you've made a wrong decision. It's actually to watch how this person or that person or both are expanding. It's not so much about the content of the argument as much as it's about the process the content of the argument, whether you're arguing about, about money or family or in-laws or whatever, the, it's not about the content. It's more about the process. Is one person or both persons getting expanded, growing more, more open, more um, generous, more broader? I think, and I'm not an expert on this, but I think that is the objective of marital counseling. Now, if it ever gets to the point where I, I realize I can no longer help this couple, I will, of course, outpatient them to a professional in this area. But I will say, I am thinking, I do believe that the, the, the point is not winning an argument with your spouse. The point is, how am I, how are you being expanded and growing in the process? Hear those words once again, a prayer for my spouse. God, show me how to keep my spouse's happiness utmost in my mind today as I try by your grace to make this relationship right. Please protect my spouse from all of my wrongs. Help me to seek to console then to be consoled, to comfort then to be comforted, to understand then to be understood, to love then to be loved. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born again to eternal life. I'm going to wrap up with a third and last heading, the cost of marriage, the cost of marriage. 
So, so far we've had the purpose of marriage. What is the purpose of marriage? Responsibility. Your responsibility over another human being. Are you able to care, not just for all of creation, but this one human being? The second, the call of marriage. The point, once again, is not the call of marriage is to, I guess, is, 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 is to connect with another human being. The call of marriage is to come out of isolation, to come out of isolation. And third and last, the cost of marriage. There is a cost. There is a cost. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. A man will leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There's a principle here, and that principle is called leave to cleave. You can fill that in the blank, leave to cleave. In this context, it's talking about leaving, the, um, leaving, leaving your parents' basement, if I can put it that way. Leaving to cleave, it means that there must be a decisive, and I'm going to say a psychological even, a psychological break where we are leaving our family of origin in order to cleave to our spouse. When you marry, a new loyalty is formed. A new loyalty is formed. And it's, it's imperative to defend, to validate, to protect, to make your spouse feel, feel that you are on his or her side first. When I first got married, um, one, of the, one of the things that my wife and I bickered about, probably the biggest thing that we, we bickered about the most was the in-law relationship, my in-laws, or no, my, my parents, her in-laws. And um, the, um, for me, I was like, what's, what's the deal? You know, we, we, I'm 3,000 miles away from New York. I'm in Seattle. I mean, really, is this such a big deal? Um, and what was revealed through that experience was that even though apart, mentally and psychologically, you can still be a daddy's little girl or a mama's boy. And I realized even physical leaving was not enough, that I needed, I needed, a, a, I needed, I needed a sense to come off of the, the mental, the emotional dependency as well that I had on my parents. Um, I'm not saying that families should be rent asunder and that you should no longer talk to your parents. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but I'm saying that there is a maturity that happens when we leave to cleave. Leave to cleave. Leave to cleave. Cleave. What does cleave mean? Now, if you take an axe and you cut something in half, you've cleaved it in half. You've cleaved if it's a, let's say it's a, a tree trunk. And you, you, with the axe, cleave it. You've effectively cleaved it and, and separated it. But at the same time, cleave can also mean for two things to, you know, to, for two things to cling together, so to speak. Now, both of those definitions are applicable. When we talk about leaving something, not just, we're not just talking about the parenting relationship, but we're also now talking about whatever it is that, um, whatever it is that God calls us to leave in order to be loyal, in order to be, in order to cling or cleave to our spouse. It might not just be the in-laws thing. It might also be our notions of money. We might need to have graduate to a new understanding of finances. It might, it might be money. It might be 
um, notions of intimacy. It might be expectations. But there is a sense where I have to leave something in order to cleave to my spouse. So, there is, there, there, I can make no, you know, I cannot, I cannot, um, I, I make no qualms about it. There is a cost. There is a cost to marriage. And the more you affirm your love and your union and your loyalty and your commitment to your spouse, the more, the more we mature in that relationship. She needs to know, he needs to know that you are on her or his side. To wrap up here, um, I, I wish I had some, you know, wonderful story to share that, oh, we went through this, we went through that, and now here we are triumphant. I don't have a story like that to share. Um, FYI, we're not doing our Valentine's Day ritual today. We're, don't ask. We're doing our thing tomorrow. Um, but... Um, I've been finding that there is no triumphant peak that you stand on when it comes to marriage. A lot of it is the process of living out this prayer regularly, daily, in an ongoing way. Tell your own story. Tell your own story to finish off this sermon. So, in closing, happy Valentine's Day. Hopefully, um, you've been inspired or in some ways challenged to um, put your spouse before yourself, or if you are single, you've been inspired or challenged to think about what the cost of marriage is, what the meaning, the calling of marriage is, what the purpose of marriage is. Hopefully, it's been biblically informative, and if you feel you need to talk, um, again, I, I, I've, I'm, I am continually available to you on this thing. Both myself and my wife are willing to listen. In closing, how about we just say this prayer one more time? A prayer for my spouse. If we can pull that up on the screen. All together now. God, please show me how to keep my spouse's happiness utmost in my mind today as I try, by your grace, to make this relationship right. Please protect my spouse from all of my wrongs. Help me to seek to console than to be consoled, to comfort than to be comforted, to understand than to be understood, and to love than to be loved, Bobby. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born again to eternal life. Amen. If we can close our eyes, and at this time, say a prayer for another person. If it's your spouse, great. If you don't have a spouse, pray for somebody. Pray for a significant other. Um, if you have no significant other yet, pray for a future significant other. And if not, then pray that God would reveal to you His will. Pray that God would reveal to you His will, whether it is the call to marriage or the call to singleness. Pray that you'll be faithful and have the strength to obey it. Lord, please show me today that it is by self-forgetting that I find. Show me that it is by comforting that I am comforted. 
Show me that it is by understanding that I am understood. And that it is by loving that I am loved. I come to you today, and now I pray on behalf of all, and you can repeat these words after me if it helps. I come, today to, I come to you today, God, with a hole in my heart. I really want it to be filled. I have so many needs, so many wants, and so many pains. And I'm afraid to open up because marriage is hard. But show me, Lord, that as I give love, as I give understanding, as I give compassion, that I will receive it as well. Can you test it for me, Lord? I want to test it, Lord. Can you show it to me? Can you take care of me? Because I'm afraid to let go. Take care of me, Lord. And thank you. I trust you today. In Jesus' name.